what's the D? I don't, it's, it's suicide. I, yeah, and dying. And dying, yeah. there it is, yeah. And uh, the rates of people who uh, just sign up for, for ending themselves. We're not looking, I read an article several years ago that said, if we're looking at any other species of animal and seeing them killing their, their, their infants in gestation, we would be saying, this is a very sick population. We, there is some underlying thing that's going on here that's very off that needs redress. For some reason, we can't look at our own species that way and go, something is very wrong here. We need to adjust course. This is not going well. Rather, we put all this time and energy into justifying this, this practice that is, is self-evidently um, heinous. So you, you have the patience for walking with people through this. I've, I've seen another strategy, strategy being just finding people on the street and then showing them informational videos on the process of abortion and what it entails. And for a lot of people, just seeing the process, and it, they're not gratuitous videos, they're often just diagrams and stuff, but it, just learning about the process is often enough to turn a, a number of people off against it. What are some other um, uh, compelling ways of thinking through these topics that, that you think are helpful for people who maybe haven't thought through these things very much? Well, I'm glad that you uh, mentioned the 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 difference of of killing the unborn versus anybody else. You say the main difference is you can't hear their their screams, which is true. I think another crucial difference that makes it feel entirely different for many people is the fact that they are inside another person. Mm-hmm. And there is no other minority group that's that's been oppressed, that's been dependent on other people in that way. And this sense that the, the general population has right now, the, this overall good sense of wanting equality and wanting human rights, um, sees the unborn, sees the woman, and sees a conflict of rights going on. And we have to parse out, well, whose rights went out in that situation? Because the woman may claim, yes, it is a human being. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is in the club of equal rights. Yes, if it was anywhere else, I wouldn't have the right to kill it. But my body is sacred. And what I do with it is should be my only choice, uh, only my choice. And that type of argument, that type of perspective is the one that's becoming more and more common over the last few years, um, because it is it is the strongest type of pro-choice argument, bodily rights arguments to say, yeah, sure, we'll give you that it's human. We'll give you that it has rights. I can kill it anyway because it's in my body. Mm. And those and my, two pro- the implicit thing being my rights trump this baby's rights. Exactly, exactly. Which is a Nietzschean argument in that it is, I am stronger and mightier, right? It's based on strength and ability, right? It, it might be in some cases. Okay. I don't know if that always, it always matters exactly why they think that, just, just that they think that they can do okay. whatever they want with their body, even if it were to harm somebody else. Okay. And that okay. even that perspective splits up into two kind of categories, one of which was what I was describing in the um in the article. Um it's called the the sovereign zone argument, which is just basically the idea that 
my body is a sovereign zone. I'm the boss of it. I can do whatever I want with anything that's in it. I can eat what I want and sleep when I want and do what I want with my arms and legs. Oh, I um, hate that argument. <laughs> we, we, our kids learn from a catechism. The very first question is, what is our only hope in life and death? And the answer is that we are not our own, but belong to God. So that is question number one. This is, this is at the very start of Christian theology as we're instructing our kids is these bodies are not ours. If you read 1 Corinthians, it's very clear. You were bought at a price. You are not your own. Uh, you you do not have. Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. I, I rebuke that, this. That, that Go is ahead with to it. understand <laughs> that most secular people on the street yes. will not be at that level of understanding. No, yes. I, yes. Okay. We're talking well, about second. My concern is as we're having this conversation, I'm going, of course, ungodly people are going to kill their babies. You know, of, of course, this is what's going to make sense to them. My concern is within the household of God, the people who find that course of action to be at all acceptable. Um, you're having patience not only for people within the household of God, but even outside of the church, you are engaging in a conversation in which you think reason, philosophy, basic ethics can prevail against um, this ethos. So I admire yeah. you very much for that. Keep and that's going. I derailed. To, Go ahead, Nate. Sorry. Well, and, and that's something to note about everything that that Holly and I kind of put forward as arguments. We we haven't actually referenced the scripture. We haven't referenced God. We haven't referenced anything on on the spiritual side. Obviously, if we're talking within someone within the church, you can use those things. Mm -hmm. um, you, can, you can appeal to the authority of scripture and theology because that person respects those sources of authority. Mm -hmm. Well, we also recognize that not everybody who we talk to is going to recognize those senses, those, those authority uh, positions. And so we, we've kind of worked within uh, these arguments to, to boil down to say, all right, if we don't have, if we, had, if we had no Bible, we had nothing else, let's just say, what does this person agree with? Where, where's the common ground that we can find? And let's go from there. And so that's why we, we use reason to say, all right, do we agree that there is such a thing as equal rights? Yes, great. That's common ground. Let's work from there. Do we agree that it applies to everyone that we see in our neighborhood? Yes, we agree. All right, let's work from there. Um, instead of trying to say, I believe this, and even though I know it's true, which mm -hmm. I do, I, yes. I, everything that you said, I, I believe I agree with that catechism. Um, that's not going to change anybody's minds. No, uh, yeah, you're right. Already yeah. in agreement with. Yeah, Christians are known for entering a conversation with, oh, I feel strongly about this, so you must give in to me. And that is a fundamentally flawed way of being in relationship with other people. So you guys are totally right to start from common ground. Mm -hmm. And it's it's not that we can't share a world with people who don't share our convictions. It's that we have to share the world with them. And so can we negotiate the terms of that sharing? And uh, for, for you folks in particular, yeah, we, we have to negotiate that. So this is what that negotiation looks like. You're making this argument of bodily autonomy, or what was the term? It, it involves sovereignty. Sovereign. Yeah. The, the sovereign zone. Um, sovereign I want to say first, though, that you, you might be interested to know that there are, uh, there is a, a hefty body of, of pro-life atheists and agnostics who do hold to um, pro-life reasoning just because it is logically consistent and they believe in people and they want to uplift people. And, and uh, there's actually a, a thriving organization, um, Secular Pro-Life, who's been very active lately, um, who, who brings in the non-religious but firmly pro-life and gives them an avenue for action. So I think that's really cool. That is um, interesting, yeah. 
Yeah, this has been something that, um, you know, everybody knows that libertarians are godless, right? So the I'm joking. My sensibilities are kind of libertarian, but it's been something that's really divided liber- modern day libertarianism because for right. some people it's the mother's right, and then for some libertarians it's obviously babies have equal rights. So uh, I, I want to re- I want to come back to the sovereign zone. I love that term, even though I hate the concept. But um, <laughs> uh, let's let's be clear. Is there any medical condition necessary? in which the solution is to abort. There are obviously scenarios like ectopic pregnancies where uh, a a fetus is uh, a risk, a harm to the mother's body. In those extreme cases, is abortion necessitated? The the intentional uh, dismembering of a fetus and, and extrication from the mother's body, such as to end the life of the baby, is that medically necessary ever? I don't believe so. Now, there are always very weird outlying situations that could come up. But as far as I understand it, um, if the child is large enough to do a DNC on at all, DNC also large, uh, um, a dilation and evacuation. Thank you. uh, Which is where you you dismember the fetus. Um, If the fetus is big enough to do that, then they are also big enough to do a C-section or to induce labor and to at least give them a shot at surviving outside the womb. If it is, in fact, the situation where the mother will die if she continues to be pregnant, which is also very rare, but if that happens, you can still treat both patients with the respect due a human being. You do not have to dismember anybody. And you're Just to be clear, you're talking about later on Yes. Because obviously ectopic pregnancies ectopic do pregnancies, happen yeah. and those the, like those are problematic. You you would you would agree, I think, that we thought we had an ectopic pregnancy this summer. We we miscarried before we were able to um get it diagnosed. Um, but we were in a situation where we were prepared to have to take action against that um if it was going to if it was going to threaten my life, because in those situations, you cannot save the child at all. Mm. And so you have to be able to save who you can. Yeah. That is still treating the mother and the child as equal patients. A, uh, a, a stat that I failed to bring up earlier, but it figures into this as well, is we can do comparative uh, analysis of countries that have uh, no toleration of abortion versus those who do. Um, those those countries that have outlawed abortion do not have higher mater- maternal mortality rates at all. And in the case of some, actually have higher um, uh, mother's health uh, health outcomes for mothers. So one of the the pieces of misinformation that comes out is if if we do not allow for abortion, a lot more mothers are going to die. And that's something that can be clearly demonstrated as false because, you know, the world is bigger than the United States of America. We can look at other <laughs> places that do this. So let's hop back into the the line of, of, of thinking that you were doing earlier. You were talking about the sovereign zone and, and the, the fundamental conviction that a lot of women have in particular that this is my body. I can do with it what I want. Yes. And so so when when somebody is is making a sovereign zone argument, com- claiming that they can do whatever they want with whatever is inside their body, um, that can often be shown to not be something that is consistently held by the person. If you suggest m- more and more extreme 
situations. So that's that's often something somebody might say about having an early term abortion. Well, it's my body. All right, but what about late term abortions? What about nine month abortions? What about right before giving birth? Where is the fetus then? Where is the unborn child then? It is still as much inside her body as the six week embryo was. Right. So you have to be consistent. You have to be willing to say that you are in favor of abortions through all nine months. You have to be willing to say that you are in favor of abortions for any conceivable reason, like the baby is a girl and I don't want a girl. Oh, yeah. Or the baby is a race that I don't want to have this baby. See, and that sounds Nobody wants to bite silly. That, that sounds really silly to some people until you learn about Chinese demographics where they have controlled the population very intentionally and the female population is underrepresented in the huge demographic uh, strain that that puts on a, uh, a country. Um, and yes, it's been done for racial reasons as well, although we can't point to such a clear example as China. So there are some things that just seem so outlandish and outrageous to people who are not very historically or geographically informed. So these, these are real things, real concerns. They, they are, but they're not things that, that the average American has, has their conscience attuned to. Right. So they're, it, it would sound, it would sound strange to them. And because they are used to hearing about women's rights and rights for racial minorities, they, they would be quick to resonate with, oh no, you, you can't kill a baby just because he's black. You can't kill a baby just because she's a girl. Their, their, their moral compass is on point with that. That's not something that, that they're be confused about. So if you, if you're holding to a sovereign zone view, you have to be willing to accept any abortion at any time for any reason. Okay. You, you would also have to be willing to say it's all right for women to like take medication that would be harmful to her child in utero for any reason. Or do meds. This is. Yeah. And this is where uh, it's a, a really powerful kind of uh, teaching, even, even though it's it's uh, it's a thought exercise, really. Uh, but if, if people because some people are willing to, to bite the bullet and say, all right, if I'm going to hold to a sovereign zone that says essentially my body, my choice. Right. I can choose to do with within. And that includes being OK with nine month uh, abortions. That includes gender selective abortions. That includes race selective abortions and say. Yes, I, I wouldn't personally do that, but I think that a woman should have a right to that. Um, some people will bite the bullet on all of that just to be consistent. And so one of the things that we often do is walk people through a thought experiment uh, with a, a drug that used to be on the market and no longer is not uh, no longer is called thalidomide. Um, it was used back in the 60s. I've read about 50s. this. Yeah, Sarah Beth read up on uh, the history of uh, bad medications. So, yeah. you know, a little so, bit more. I think I've seen some pictures on what this mm -hmm. caused. Go ahead, Nate. But yeah, to, to fill in your audience of what thalidomide was, it was a, a morning sickness medication that uh, was put out onto the market. And then, unfortunately, too late, uh, the medical community came to the realization that, that this medication actually caused severe fetal uh, deformities. Yeah. Uh, the children were born being born without arms and legs because their mother took that without knowing it, right? They, right, of course. They took it just to, to care for it. They thought it was safe and it was not. And so it's been sen since taken off the, the market. Um, but the, we, we have this this clear case of, of 
thousands of children being born with these deformities because of this. Right. Um, and so what we do is we take this very real thing that happened and say, well, let's walk through a thought experiment. Um, <clears throat> let, let's say that uh, we have a woman who, who finds out that uh, she is pregnant, but she is just incredibly, incredibly sick. Like uh, I remember with our first child, Holly ended up in the hospital because she was so thick, sick that she was getting dehydrated. We had to get her an IV just to keep her and the baby safe. Um, so she's just so sick and nothing is working. Should she be allowed to take something like thalidomide with the understanding that it could uh, and, and very possibly would deform her child? Mm. And and so because, again, it's sovereign zone, should she be allowed to do put in her body what she wants? Um, and some people will at that point say, no, that's that, that's too much. You can't you can't do that with the understanding that this very well would be a likely out, outcome. And it's like, well, then that seems to undercut your sovereign zone argument. Um, but some people will even bite that bullet. And so we take it even a step further and say, all right, let's suppose that uh, this woman takes thalidomide, gives birth to her child and it has deformities. Uh, and so she's dealing with a child who has severe uh, disabilities and she's caring for it, but she finds that uh, people are really, really caring for her. She, she gets a lot of help. People come along and, and this baby is loved uh, so much more uh, than perhaps they, she might have been uh, if she had been born healthy. And so she gets pregnant again. This time she's not sick, but she sees how wonderful it's been. She loves the attention that she's getting uh, because of this disabled child. Let's say that she wants to take thalidomide to purposely deform this child. She this, wants to. This have is a, a crazy child. situation. We're it's, going to crazy town. Nobody would do this. Nobody would do this. Okay. This is a thought experiment, right? This is insane. And, but let's right. let's do it. But say, well, let's say that she she wanted to to purposely deform her child. Should she be allowed to do that? And at this point, most people are like, well, absolutely not, right? Uh, because again, it's crazy. No one would think this. You would have to be really messed up in the head to want to do this to your child but again it goes against the sovereign zone if the sovereign zone argument is i can do what it's my body my choice then logically speaking you should be okay with this woman doing that for that reason and this is why we think the thalidomide argument is is so powerful is because with this milieu of of abortion being just okay um people's people's moral compass is kind of messed up but when it comes to like disfiguring children people's moral compass are pretty well set on that and so we put people in the uncomfortable position of arguing that it is not okay to disform your child but it is okay to dismember them Ooh, you can't Ooh. sit with that that's a very uncomfortable <laughs> place to be well and and i can't help but draw the parallel with all these parents that are okay with uh transing their kids now and putting them on uh hormone blockers and then uh, uh deforming their testicles i mean it's still not a statistically significant, but it's a statistically growing phenomenon. And yeah, it, it does seem as though this whole abortion thing has warped and metastasized and is spreading to other conversations um, with parents willing to, um, I bought this book, I haven't read it yet, called Them Before Us, and, and showing how the Western Project for the last several decades has been uh, parents' uh, uh, putting themselves first and, and using their children as a, a means to satisfying their own happiness, uh, which as a culture, it seems to me pretty plainly that we have been doing that and continue to, to try and justify that. So abortion is one side of that, but there are a number of other ways in which uh, it's transpired. We, we shouldn't spread out though. We should stay focused on abortion. Um, uh, 
I'm correcting myself here and you guys, yeah, he needs to correct himself. Um, so so um, I, I know that there are some practical things that people can do if they're, if they're won over by this argument or if they're already on the same side and they've just been listening um, for, for, for support and, and uh, encouragement. Uh, yeah, encouragement. So uh, we, we will end with the things that anyone listening can do, organizations that can support. But I think it is important, you know, who knows if we're going to have this conversation again. Um, you guys are much more attuned to what, what the conversation in America currently looks like and where you anticipate it's going and, and what it is that people need to, to think about and hear. And let's not, let's not be particular about the global Methodist church, but as we're just thinking about the American audience more broadly, post-Christian, is there anything else? We've kind of walked through basic philosophy, basic ethics of standards that can be upheld to apply human rights. So either you just give up on human rights altogether, and it's a, a, a Darwinian uh, competition of the fittest, do whatever you want as long as you can get away with it legally, or there is a human rights principle at stake that that you guys sit pretty firmly on uh protects unborn life um are there any arguments to what you've lifted up here so far that abortion advocates uh could level that 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 we should go ahead and anticipate and dismantle as well so they're just left with nothing that well there is one more bodily rights argument that I think we would be remiss to leave out because it is growing in popularity. Okay. Um, and I can re respond to it in, in about a minute. So it's, it won't take much of our it. time. Yeah, we're not in but the, the other sovereign zone argument uh, that is very common is called the right to refuse argument. And this is different from the sovereign zone in that it's simply saying, I don't have to give life support to another person mm. with my body. I can say no to that. I'm not obligated to help in those circumstances. And there are all kinds of wacky thought experiments that you could go into, but it, it boils down to being very, very simple. Um, even in even in situations of pregnancy from rape, which is very tragic, but it certainly does happen. And I want to note on the side that it's something that um, people should be extremely sensitive to should it come up in conversations. We never want to come across as though we do not care about rape victims or that rape isn't a serious tragedy. Um, but if that is clear, um, that even if somebody's concerned about a situation of a, of a pregnancy in the case of rape um, and saying, well, I didn't even consent to the creation of this child. I have no involvement in that. I do not assent to my body being used in this way. Um, the basic the basic way to counter that is is to look at the fact that your options are not to you do not have the right to refuse option. You can't just say, I'm not going to help this person. You can only help or violently kill. Pregnancy is is this weird dependent situation that nobody else is ever in with another human being, which is why the thought experiments can get really weird, is that you are never in a position where I can, where you can simply say, I just don't consent to help them. You have to either help them by maintaining the pregnancy until you can hand off the baby to somebody else, or you can violently kill the baby. There's no neutral path. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can't, a, a woman, as amazing as a woman's body is, she can't just close off all the things connected to the baby and let it suffocate and die 
as reprehensible as that also would be to me. Right. Uh, it's still not it, something that that's possible. Um, we're, we're, it's simply advocating for a nonviolent solution. Yeah. Which most people can get on board with. Most people are in favor of nonviolent solutions. Mm -hmm. But there, there is no nonviolent way to end a pregnancy. That's a good that's a good one liner. You guys have some good one liners. I like it. What was the one before about dismemberment that we're against deforming, but not against dismemberment? What you said it better than me. Oh, you mean with the with the thought experiment? Yeah. 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 Oh, uh, yeah. So we, we we put people in the uncomfortable position if they say no, a woman shouldn't be allowed to take thalidomide to purposely dismember or to deform their child uh, and say, all right, you are against deforming your child but you are for dismembering them dude that's such and a good one-liner i hope i remember if nothing else i'm going to hold on to that one today uh, well and to give credit where credit is due we want to make sure to establish that we didn't come up with these nope. yeah we're not that creative or smart these are these are mostly drawn from the work of um justice for all and the equal rights institute yeah. uh actually those two the, all of the bodily rights arguments we brought up have been mainly worked out by a philosopher named Tim Brom, who has worked for the Equal Rights Institute. He's a good friend of mine. Um, so, yes, the Equal Rights Institute is a great resource for learning about all of these arguments in depth. We have just scratched the surface. For anyone who's inclined to be disingenuous or contentious, I know a number of people will hear y'all talk about this and go, oh, they trained for this. They're ideologues. You know, they've been given a script. They're following a script. You know, they're, they're doing this as a means to power. They're, 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 they're avatars of a political ideology to which uh, the pushback needs to be, look, we can know something is true and still need help explicating how it's true. You know, the even when the truth is self-evident, that does not mean that we magically have the vocabulary and the 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 thought structure to be able to explain it to people who don't share in it, you know? Mm. So the fact that you guys have taken gone to such lengths to learn how to connect with people who have such a fundamentally different worldview is not a sign that you're you're seeking to manipulate or disingenuously move the conversation in a certain direction. It's more that that you've used everything you can at your disposal to learn how to connect with people and seek common understanding. So it's an, an admirable thing. Uh, well, and, to, and not only that, but this is something that I tell, especially when we do any training to, to talk people through these arguments and, and, and the logic of it is I say, anytime I'm in a conversation with somebody about abortion, especially if they disagree with me, my goal is not to, to change their mind on the spot. Um, and, and the, most people don't do that anyway. Right, exactly. Mm. Uh, my job is to, to, and we use, again, stealing language from other people, put a pebble in their shoe. Uh, mm. I don't know if you ever had a rock in your shoe, but like yeah. you can ignore it and you like, you put it into like the arch of your foot and you try to, but eventually you're just gonna be like, fine, I'll take my shoe off and deal with it. Um, and that's our goal because especially for deeply held views, mm -hmm. again, loving, treating people as we would want to be treated. If if I had a very core belief, whether that's like my belief in Jesus as Lord, whether that's my belief in, in the sanctity of unborn life, if someone presented me arguments that refuted that, that's like even I couldn't have answers for. And I said, I, I don't know how to respond to that. The chances of me just falling on my knees and saying, I repent of my foolish ways and I believe you is like almost zero. What am sure. I going to do? I'm going to go back. I'm going to talk to my my mentors and my pastors and my friends and my wife and say, I, I don't know what to do with this. Help me. Mm -hmm. um, and so the chances of us just making converts on the spot is 
unfeasible in a lot of ways. And so we say, no, our job is to be faithful. This is what I believe. This is why I believe it. I'm going to articulate it with truth and grace. um, And I'm going to trust Jesus to to continue to to work grace in in your life as well, just like he does in mine. Um, And whenever you kind of have that that perspective, it takes a lot of the pressure off um, and saying, no, my job is just to be a good ambassador. It's not to uh, force down anything. It's not my will to power. Um, it's just me trusting that, no, I think I have the truth here and the truth will prevail. Yeah. The will to power is a distinctly Nietzschean phrase. That's very much focused on, uh, bowling people over, bulldozing people with the strength of my position or personality. And the, the fact that you have this conversation in a decidedly anti-Nietzschean fashion, an invitational and, um, uh, critically thinking, critical thinking, uh, conscientious matter, it makes the case as well. You know, the, it's not just that we have the conversation, it's how we have the conversation that matters, um, which is, you know, y'all wrote me a couple months ago and I was reluctant to do it because my spirit is not in uh, a winsome or gracious place about it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm regularly just appalled at, at where our society is about it. And I've, I've questioned how helpful I could be in the midst of such a conversation. So I appreciate you guys bearing with me as I'm a bit more raw and uh, <laughs> perhaps not helpful with it. But I think you guys are really helpful. I couldn't help but be curious earlier, Holly, when you were talking about being in the room with a, a collaboration where y'all came up with a new argument that was just fantastic. I, I want to know the particulars of that. Do you know what I'm? Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, that was the equal rights argument. Okay. Yeah, okay, the equal rights being. Developed. You believe that all humans should have equal rights. So what what constitutes a human being? What what grounds the equal rights that we all all born human beings obviously have? Yeah. It can only okay, be something so, like humanness. Very cool. Okay. So I feel like I've heard that argument several times. That must have been it's several years around. ago that you came yeah. up with this. Cool. Yeah. So what year was that? It was 2013. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, when you have that conversation in a religious setting, the of course the theological grounding for one deserving of of equal rights is the imago dei, one made yes. in God's image. Is there um, any consensus on what constitutes the imago dei, like what it is that must be in place in order for one to be an imager of God? I think having the sense of the imago dei being being something that exists certainly helps make that kind of argument more strongly in the within the Christian sphere. Mm-hmm. I I have thought about that too, whether there is any one thing that can establish exact precisely what the Imago Day is. Yeah. I don't think we're gonna get any closer than yes, the the humanness, that it is something beyond our understanding. I don't know if Nate has a more theologically informed um perspective on that. Well, it, I, I would just inverse the question, right? So the question is, well, what, what, where does our equal rights come from? Well, we say it's from being human, right? Um, and I, I agree that I, I think that the being made in the image of God is the humanness, right? Those, yeah. those are one and the same. If you're going to argue those aren't the same, um, that's... Uh, the burden know, of proof is on you. Right, now, now you're... So, okay, so what is it, right? Is it, yeah. your, is it your breath? Does that mean people on ventilators like uh, uh, aren't in the image of God, right? Yeah, they've, and, they've suddenly lost the image of God. Okay, <laughs> right. It, it 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 seems silly, and so that's the only thing that I because we agree that yeah, it's our humanness 
the, the fact that we're part of of this God's act of creation and making Adam and Eve is is that. Yeah. Um, and if you want to argue otherwise, then well, I would love to hear your arguments on that. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is a, a an itch I can't help scratch help but scratch you know when trying to constitute the Imago Dei as over against other organisms organisms. Um, you know, what is it that makes humans in particular so special? Uh, I, I do want to get more particular than a, an appeal to uh, a self-referential humanness, but it does, it is a slippery thing. I mean, at this point, I'm inclined to say anything with uh, uh, the right chromosomal structure that that only makes sense with it. But, you know, of course, the scriptures don't even speak to chromosomes, so it's 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 a tough ground. To, anyway, we don't have to figure it all out today, and maybe that's besides the point. Uh, but I do, you know, anytime I'm poking holes in one thing, I want to be able to show how my side is is better. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I'm still coming back to this metaphor of uh, something wrapped up in the middle of the road that you can't tell if it's alive or not. If you're if you're if your response is ah run it over, who cares? Then there's something fundamentally wrong with that position. I, I just don't know if I want to live in a world where that's the disposition of other humans is to just eliminate things that they don't understand or uh, fully know. I, I just think that that goes in a number of directions that are just really upsetting. Sarah Beth, you've, you've largely been just hanging out. How do you think you're going to reflect on this whole conversation later? Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm just sitting here reflecting on like, I, I personally, would have a hard time separating my Christian identity in the midst of conversations with people. So I'm just sitting here struggling with that internally. Yeah, I don't yeah. have any thoughts on it. I'm just like, wow, I don't, I don't know how we would do that. Yeah. <laughs> like if, if I can't appeal to what is our only hope in life and death, that we are not our own, but we belong to God, like I'd, I'm lost. And so uh, I appreciate people like you who are more gracious than I am and can have conversations with people who don't, you know, look to Christ as Lord and, and help them or seek common ground with them. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, me, well both of us. Were, that, sorry. No, you, you, I didn't know you were going to talk. Go ahead, Holly. I just want to encourage you that the, the types of conversations that use these kind of arguments can absolutely build a, a framework, uh, build a rapport and get you to the mental point where it is easier to share your faith than it would have been if you hadn't already talked about these other mm. things. So it's not as though we leave our faith at the door. Mm -hmm. It's it's definitely there informing what we say. And um, often you can find a tactful way to work it in, in a way that's suddenly more effective. Yeah, we should work on that. And we're, next time we talk about evangelism, I can say, look, if talking about Jesus is really uncomfortable for you, just talk about abortion first, and then you can get into Jesus. You know? I'm glad you knew that was kind of a joke. But I think I think that's right, you know, connecting on meaningful things that people don't necessarily have the same reactive defensiveness to. Um, although abortion, man, abortion Ooh. and religion are just right up there together, aren't they? Golly. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, who do we want to plug as as people are listening to this and thinking through it? If if somebody is wanting to kind of make their own individual, you know, it, I think some people just go, well, I need to vote the right way and I need to, uh, you know, just hate on people who disagree with me. Now, there's a lot of things that you can do on the ground that actually um, impact the world that we live in with respect to the sanctity of human life. 
what what are some specific things that you guys would encourage? Do a couple things before you do the NADC. Yeah, I think you should. Um, well, so for one thing, obviously we're big proponents of of knowing the arguments. Learn some arguments and practice being able to express them so that when it does come up with your pro-choice friends or with the well-meaning church person who doesn't understand anything about like the biology of the unborn, for instance, you can be of aid there. You can present, you can bring some clarity to the conversation because as I said before, there's a lot of misinformation out there right now. There's a lot of fear mongering. So if you can familiarize yourself with the arguments, also familiarize yourself with the laws, especially in your area, again, to help bring clarity. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I will say again, the, the Equal Rights Institute is a great place to start for learning some of these arguments. Um, they have a they have a good online presence. They even have a wonderful TikTok presence, which was a surprise to them. But they have a huge following on TikTok where they teach the arguments in little snippet videos. Um, Interesting. Uh, I would I would also recommend familiarizing yourself um, with whatever your local pregnancy resource center is. Right. And get to know what their services are so that you can more effectively steer somebody in that direction um, if you if you encounter somebody in a crisis pregnancy situation who might not know or might not feel comfortable going there by themselves you can help help uh, move them to where they can get more assistance and and support that institution if if your church is not actively giving resources whether that's uh, in the form of monetary donations or uh, advertisement or donations of clothes and diapers and things like that, that should be right now to like this week, you need to get that going. Um, because again, none of, if, if we're truly gonna be saying we're doing this out of a love of, of life and, and a care for others as social holiness, you, you can't be, you can't be doing one without the other. Um, and so if your church is not doing that, even if it's a small amount, if you're not doing that, even if it's just a small amount, I think that every Christian should be uh, using the resources and, and time that they have available to be taking care of institutions like that. Hmm. Sorry to interrupt. No, that's not <laughs> what I wanted to say. That was great. Well, do you want to talk about uh, your eyes online stuff? Oh, yeah. Well, just just the fact that the the Equalist Institute has a very flushed out um curriculum both for adult groups and i believe their one for their high school curriculum is is done now um so that that can help ground even younger people um in in very clear thinking on this issue to help combat the milieu of of lies that are out there and counter perspectives and so it's all, all online it's in video chunks and you kind of work at it as like a small group um listening through it talking through it uh, practicing the material um, and they make that really, really accessible for especially churches um, to, to get their hands on and, and use as part of the church structure. One of the uh, organizations I know you support deals with um, the moral issue of, uh, so we in our context today, fertility rates are dropping. A lot of people have a hard time conceiving. In vitro fertilization is a method that was developed and has been uh, perfected over time that uh, requires getting a, a number of of gametes from the male and female and uh, 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 fertilizing fertilizing many of them, but then choosing one or two of them to uh, bring to gestation. And then sometimes they're thrown out and then sometimes they're frozen ostensibly to be used later. 
I should say on the front end, I just find IVF really problematic in a world where so many children need to be adopted. Um, I, I just don't see much of a good reason for it, uh, children that have already been born and, and need loving homes. But even so, we're living in a world where uh, tons and tons of uh, fertilized eggs uh, are just sitting. And so I, I, I wasn't even aware that there was an organization working with those until I learned about you guys uh, actually working. So, so tell us about that. Uh, yeah, um, you, you know, Go ahead, okay. I'll jump in. <laughs> I, I, I'm really excited about this because this is something that I didn't even know existed until I met Holly. Um, and uh, I've kind of got all on board with it because I think it's amazing. Um, but yeah, like like you said, with IVFs, um, they don't require uh, fertilization of lots and lots of, of embryos. Um, but the just the the cost of of IVF kind of precludes that that being done because it's so expensive. You want the highest chance of of getting pregnant, and so they will um, fertilize the most that they can, and then choose the healthiest ones for implantation and save some mm -hmm. in case the the family wants to have children later on um, as well. Um, and so, what happens with the these these frozen embryos that that are saved for later? Uh, some families get to a point where they say, nope, we're done having children. We've got leftover ones. Uh, what do we do with them? Um, and so, yeah, lots of them do get discarded. And that's something that we would like to see an end to, um, because again, we believe that they have the equal right to life as, as any other human being. Um, but until that happens, uh, there are organizations, and the one that we worked with was the NEDC, the National Embryo Donation Center in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, and what uh, families can do is they can actually adopt these embryos, have them uh, inserted into a, a woman's uterus, just like you would with IVF without creating additional embryos. Um, and it's been really powerful uh, process for us um, because again, we, we haven't had problems conceiving. We have three children of our own, but we said we, we want to, to extend the resources that God has gifted us with a good home, a good job, uh, to take care of of uh, another another family's child, um, and so we went through that process. Unfortunately, we we lost the the twins that we uh, mm. did adopt, um, but it's it's a powerful, I think, Christian expression of our faith to to adopt, and in particular to adopt these children that are often forgotten. Um, but it's also important because very people, few people, know about it. And uh, it's also a very good uh, resource for people who do have problems uh, conceiving and have fertility issues. A lot of times doctors will push people to right towards IVF and say, let's do this, which again is very expensive. You can run 40 grand to do IVF. Um, <clears throat> whereas th this option is to both adopt and save a life. Uh, and it's also much, much more affordable than IVF. And so if, if you're watching or you know anybody who is struggling with uh, with conceiving or, or having children of their own, uh, this might be a really good avenue for them to look into, uh, to to adopt a child, to, to give birth and to care for it, um, mm. while also making a big difference in the world. Yeah, it was a perfect blend of caring for the unborn and meeting my own sense of calling for towards motherhood yeah because not only could I, I I could care for these unborn children by making them by making myself their mother and they will they will live in our in our hearts always and I think that even though um ours passed away uh it was it was not it was not a a worthless endeavor I think it was still a very valuable ministry to extend to them to give them a family 
to give them a name and a home and people to mourn them and people to remember them. Sorry, we're going to cry now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we, we definitely plug uh, the NEDC for all the good work. Um, their staff is, is top notch. I've, I've never met doctors or nurses that were so invested in the work that they do and so loving and caring of the people that they worked with. And their success rates are the best, literally the best in, in the world. Um, they, I just saw they passed uh, 1,400 live births of these children since they started. Mm. Um, I mean, many of them do not implant, many of them do miscarry, but their, their statistics on how many do make it through the entire process is better than any other clinic. And the, and I think they just broke a record recently of uh, oh yes last last year the the longest frozen embryos to to make it to being born had been frozen for thirty years oh my wow. so that was in national news our doctor was on TV talking about these these thirty year old babies it was amazing that was yeah, like really the month incredible. before we went in. It's yeah. incredible to live in a time where science is advancing so much and you see amazing good things like that. And then you see uh, the creation of artificial wombs and the prospect of children actually being made outside of a connection to a biological mother, which I just also find horrendous. You know, it's just, you know, technology makes so many wonderful things possible and so many awful things possible. And, um, you know, I, I, I love the prospect of sharing the world well with non-believers and coming up with good terms on which to operate and then most of the time i'm just going jesus just come now it's only gonna get worse you know but i i certainly admire and appreciate folks like you who practice what you preach and um, have the integrity to align your lives with what you believe um, rather than avoiding it um just on a pastoral note earlier <sighs> I, I don't remember exactly how it came up, but the notion was that a lot of people just want to lean away from this because it, oh, it was um, on the floor of annual conference, someone said, you know, we, we really shouldn't speak to this because it's just a really hard issue. And I think that's a huge cop out. I think that if the church can't address the hardest issues, then what are we here for? You know, we're, we are the most important thing in life. What, what Christ has done in the world is the most important thing in the world. It reorients everything, and if that doesn't compel us to enter into the hard, the hardest conversations, then I think that that's evidence of a counterfeit faith. And so you guys uh, uh, definitely give a lot of evidence for the reality of of a, a, a true Christian faith. And I just want to thank you uh, for for seeking me out for this conversation and for being willing to to put your names and faces on on the. <laughs> the front end of this issue for Methodists in particular. We will be watching the Global Methodist Church for the ways in which it can, should, might take a stand for the unborn. Um, and of course, uh, uh, as, as clergy couples, we'll be doing our, our best to serve the GMC with all that we've got in hopes that it will be what this culture needs to, to, to turn itself around and, and, um, and help our country turn itself around and, and our world. So any closing thoughts you guys would like to, to offer to our audience before we call a close to this? I just say if if any of this conversation has uh, stirred you, um, don't don't sit on that. Um, do some research, do some work. Um, I, I think that stirring that you feel in your chest is is the working of God's spirit. And so uh, 
Don't don't get in the way of that. The opportunities are out there. Take some. Yeah. Well, God bless a few gates in your ministry. And I know Sarah Beth and I are just really glad we had this conversation with y'all this morning and, and we look forward to shared ministry in the future. Uh, friends, we thank you for joining us on the Plain Spoken podcast. It's it's uh, an operation put together by a hick in a, in a tiny named town in Oklahoma. But we talk about big things, and I'm just so glad to have people who are interested in big, meaningful things. Uh, we could all just be phoning it in and continuing in on, on where we started, but I think we're at a, an inflection point in history where a lot of people want to make sure that they actually uh, are on the right side of history or, even more importantly, on the right side of God. And so um, I, I just really am appreciative for people who've engaged uh, with this particular topic. I know it's something that a lot of people get worked up about, and it obviously even stirs up some hardness of heart in me. And so thank you for bearing with me. And uh, I just I do want to uh, really push you hard to listen to the Fugates. And uh, if, if you are moved to act, um, do what they said. <laughs> they're, I, think, I think they're a, a source of wisdom and conscience that is, is much needed. So be in prayer for them and their ministry, for the Global Methodist Church, for the Christian church more broadly, and for our nation. Um, as I said before, I'm, I'm prone towards pessimism, but that's not where Christ calls me. Uh, he calls us to be salt and light. So God bless you, Fugates, for being salt and light, and uh, the, the Lord protect us on our journey. Amen. Amen.